0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempe, and I want to welcome everyone who is new to the show and to all our friends. I want to welcome you back. Today, we're going to tackle two big topics that both involve teens and phones and social media. So I know you can't wait. But before I get started, I just wanted to be sure that everyone here knows that we have so many wonderful resources on our site. I would also love for y'all to check out our Screen Strong Families Facebook group. This group is just for you. If you are really having struggles, we will come in there and answer your questions. Also, If you are interested in starting your own ScreenStrong community group or even becoming an ambassador for ScreenStrong, please reach out to team at ScreenStrong.com and let us know that you're interested. So let's dive into our topic today. I am so excited to talk with you about these things because these two things I'm going to be talking about are pretty tough topics, but I'm hoping that I can just give you some insight that will really, really, really help. We talk a lot at ScreenStrong about being coaches. And so consider today a coaches meeting where I'm gonna give you some information about a really good game plan that you may or may not know, but it's gonna really help your team. Parenting is a learning curve for sure. I remember with my oldest, when he was becoming addicted to his video games, he had all the signs of addiction. I didn't even know there was such a thing as video game addiction at the time, I didn't know what I didn't know. So this caused a lot of problems. We kept having the same problems over and over because it wasn't getting fixed. I knew his games were violent, but I also remember thinking very clearly that they, whoever they were out there, would, wouldn't would allow games to even be on the market if they were bad for our kids. I really thought that. I remember thinking that, I checked the box thinking I don't have to worry about the content. When he dropped out of college because he did play video games all through that first year and he didn't even go to his class and then he dropped out as you know the story, I was stunned. It was not a good feeling. I was shocked. I started doing more and more research and learned that there were so many warning signs that I had that I completely missed. Again, I also was operating off this blind spot that I thought that somebody out there cared about kids who played video games. So they wouldn't make them so destructive and dangerous for them. But let me give you my first hint today. Nobody cares about your child as much as you do. These companies only care that they are really glued to their screen and using their products. In this parenting journey, sometimes we don't even know the right questions to ask. During that time, I didn't even know that there should have been a question I was asking. Could he be addicted? Is this a bad thing? I didn't even know to ask that. I was so busy dealing with the effects on our family that I failed to ask if he should be playing at all. So my heart goes out to all the parents who are listening who don't know to ask the bigger questions including me. I have made way more mistakes than anyone listening to this show. So I do not say this with a judgmental tone. I say this because I've been where you are and I know what it feels like. I assumed the culture had the best interest of my child. Here's one example of something that that may be a question you should be asking that you don't even know you should be asking. This is just a random example. Did you know, you probably don't know, that Pinterest is a huge distributor of porn and eating disorder, anorexia type content. How would you even know to ask that question? You're not searching for these things on Pinterest, so you just don't even know that it's a thing. You would naturally never assume that this stuff was on Pinterest, but it is. So we'll talk about that later another time. I want to get back to the topic for today. I just wanted to give you an example of other things that we don't even know to ask questions about. So there's a couple things that we think that we naturally assume are okay, and they're not. The first thing I want to talk to you about today is the age of social media. And the second thing is the conversation around family smartphone contracts So I want to unpack these things for you. I think you're going to get a lot out of this. These are two things that we're naturally just assuming are okay. Let me take the first one. I bet you, like me, thought that somebody did a lot of research and was thinking about your sweet daughter or son when they made the decision that 13 was the age that he or she is old enough to be on social media. That somehow 13, she was mature enough, whatever that means, not to be harmed by viewing images of. Of porn and anorexia disorders on Pinterest, for example. You may be thinking right now that someone thought about this and cared because our brain naturally wants to believe what the masses tell us is true because it saves us time from figuring it out on our own. And you know, we have a nature to join the community and believe the culture. It's a survival instinct that we have. We want to go with the crowd. And many of us go with the crowd on this one. I went with the crowd on the video game thing. I did that for sure. And there's a lot of parents today that go with the crowd and say, oh, at 13, that's the age they can have social media. So that must be the best age to get them a phone. Every mom thinks this, every dad thinks this. So it must be okay for my 13 year old to have all of these platforms with Snapchat and TikTok and everything. If you are like most parents, you assume that they, again, whoever they are out there, are setting up an age system, a rating system, like a rating system for movies and video games. It makes perfect sense. Why do parents believe that 13 has become the new age of adulthood on the internet? When you look further and ask questions about why they picked 13, you'll discover that the decision had nothing to do with the safe age or maturity. The age of 13 was set up for a completely different reason. The age of 13 was set up in 1998 before social media was even invented, four years before Facebook and seven years before the iPhone. It's called the COPA law. It stands for Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, C-O-P-P-A. This law determined that no online site could collect data and personal information from children under the age of 13 without a parent's consent. The law had nothing to do with the content of the material or the age of maturity to view the content, it was only about the legality of collecting personal data from children. Because it is too complicated to collect parental consent from every parent for kids under 13, social media companies decide to put the 13 years benchmark as the age requirement on their sites so they wouldn't be fined the $42,000 fee per violation. But If the child lies about his or her age, the data can legally still be collected with no fine. We will put the link to this actual ruling in our show notes. I just want you to understand when your child is signing up for social media at 13, it does not mean that that social media platform thinks that your child is mature enough to handle it. Of course, 13 is not the age of online maturity as parents are led to believe. What are we thinking? The reason it happens is because we don't even know enough to ask the right questions. Imagine what would happen if every parent knew this fact. Most would not allow social media through late adolescence. They would follow their gut. When is maturity, by the way? Let's talk about that just for a second. Brain Science says that the frontal lobe judgment center is not fully connected until the age of 25. So this really does help us understand that the executive function center in the brain isn't working all the way. It's working, it's getting better, and it's growing, but it's not quite there yet. So as parents, we look at our child and we think, well, when are they old enough? And you might think, well, it might be when they're old enough not to be reminded every day to walk the dog and wash their own clothes or Or maybe when you're not reminding them to use their acne medicine, or uh, maybe when they begin to offer to do the dishes for you instead of being asked every night. Or how about when they're able to make their own dentist appointment? Now, I'm just saying that would show some maturity. And um, that's not the age of 13. Trust me, I have four teenagers. And your 13-year-old is not mature enough to use social media. I I think that the age of maturity should be set... When the user is mature enough not to do stupid things online, (laughs) stupid or hurtful things online, like bullying or sending photos of their private parts or naked bodies or watching porn videos or falling for a predator grooming scheme, or how about not using their phone to cheat on a test in school? Now, that would show that they had some maturity, the data is overwhelming on the damage that all this exposure to social media is doing to this age group. Of course, 13 is way too young, but you likely didn't even know to ask that question, or maybe, or maybe you did. You may be thinking, well, I can just give it to my teen at 13, and then I'm going to teach them how to use it. So that brings me to my issue number two for today. Remember, I had two issues. Uh, this is the second one. It is called the family phone contract. So somehow the phone company and the social media company has uh, convinced us that somehow our kids are mature at the age of 13, but we know they're not. So we have to have them sign a family phone contract. Now, let me just begin by saying that if you have a family phone Contract. I am not criticizing you. You are smarter than me. If I were back in the day dealing with my son, I never even thought of having a contract about his video game. So give yourself a pat on the back for that. I am just going to tell you why this idea doesn't work. Have you ever wondered why there are so many ideas and blogs and rules and lists about writing up a cell phone contract for kids on the internet? There are so many. You can Google it and you can find pages and pages and pages. So here are a few red flags to look out for. Number one, if you feel that a contract is needed for an activity that you're about to allow, then something is wrong. If something requires so many rules to the point that you are putting it in a contract, printing it out and having your kids sign it, it is not fit for 18. Number two, the fact that there are so many examples out there should tell you that something else is wrong. They don't work. If it worked, there would have by now have been a standard contract that everybody could use and say, this one works, but they don't work. It is a parent's effort to make the internet safe and we can't make the internet safe. It would be like trying to make the city dump a safe place for our kids to go eat and play. You know, eat this and not not that. Touch this and don't touch that. This is never going to work because of the environment of the internet just isn't set up for kids. Over the years, I have seen my share of family smartphone contracts. I see these as I'm doing workshops and I have live presentations and I'm in big schools and groups and parents come up to me and I'm just going to share today one of the contracts that I saw. Let's be clear. If you have done a contract, please don't feel bad. I'm not criticizing you. I'm just pointing out some things that are generally wrong with this idea. So the parent approaches me, both of them do. It's a mom and a dad, and they have typed out multiple pages in this document that they printed, and they are very proud of it. And they are anxiously waiting to show this to me because they know that they have reached this incredible epiphany and they have the answers to how to give their 13-year-old a phone Let them enjoy all the benefits without the dangers. It was very neatly put together. They walk up. They hand it to me. I look at it. It has many, many directives on it, (laughs) many pages. The conversation usually goes like this, like the one did that day. Our son or daughter reached eighth grade. So we told them that all through middle school, if they did well academically and got good grades during the first part of eighth grade, that they would get a phone. I get it. It makes sense. I made the same mistake too (laughs) with my oldest. He had straight A's. So I thought, okay, he has straight A's and he can keep playing video games. I believed that intelligence was the same as maturity, just the way these parents did. Somehow I thought they were connected, the two, but they are not. Just because you're smart doesn't mean that you can handle and manage something as powerful as a smartphone. So as I looked through the contract, I noticed there was a lot of fine print. That's another red flag. If there has to be a lot of fine print, there's probably something wrong with it if it's for a teenager. But I started focusing on the section headers. Yes, there were section headers. There were fine print and section headers. And I want to share some of these section headers with you today. So the first section Is where they had room and they had lines actually for the child to write down the reasons why he thought he needed a phone. They were just beaming. They were like, Isn't this the greatest idea that we get to hear in his own words why he needed a phone? Look at the first thing that he said. Number one, so I can get in touch with my mom. I'm thinking, This is such a smart kid. Of course, that's the number one reason. The number two reason read, so I can keep a calendar and make my bed every morning. I'm like, it really said this. And the number three was, so I can do my homework. So we're dealing with a highly, highly intelligent, savvy kid. He wrote all the right answers down. So the dad said, he's very mature for his age. He is so much smarter than I was at his age. So anyway, the rest of this first page had all the kids' rules. He was writing down all sorts of things that he thought were good rules. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to, to make fun here. I, I'm really not. I'm trying to bring some levity to the thought process. Under the need section was also a whole section on getting in touch with parents. There was a need to call when stuff comes up. Maybe I miss the bus or I need to stay after school for some reason and coordinate activities. Now, let me tell you, this whole section that was written it's really sad because it reminds me of the reasons and the ways that smartphones are robbing our children of valuable life skills. The life skill of problem solving during the safe little time when they're in middle school or even high school, when they can exercise that problem solving muscle. What do I do if mom doesn't show up? What do I do if The bus is later. I miss the bus. The minute you give them a smartphone, you erase that ability for them to go figure it out on their own. It's it's overprotecting at its finest. Most parents don't know this. I didn't realize even myself how much I was overprotecting my son by allowing him to stay in and game all the time and not get out and interact with the real world. There was a section on emergencies during school. And it said, I feel like phone use during a legitimate emergency is a good thing. So what is a legitimate emergency at the school that your kid can't handle? Well, for a teenager, everything is an emergency. I mean, they exaggerate over and over about how to do just about anything. And like if they don't have their the right shoes or they don't have something going, then that's an emergency. So if you're going to say you can only use a phone for emergencies during school time, I don't think that's really going to work. There was a digital citizenship section where the child was asked to write down some some good ideas about being um, a good digital citizenship and the rules around that. But their child isn't really even a good U.S. citizen yet. I'm thinking, right, like that he can't even vote yet. So I'm like, how does he know how to be a good digital citizen? He knows nothing about the virtual world and about doing this. I remember presenting at a school and. Before the presentation started, I was walking to the auditorium and walked past a kindergarten room, and the kindergarten teacher was teaching digital citizenship to six year olds. She came over to the door, and all the kids were all on their computers because it was actually an online course about digital citizenship. And she leaned over and she said, You know what? This is the biggest waste of, to- waste of time. They should really be outside playing. She was correct. What teens need more than figuring out digital citizenship is they need to be in person figuring out social skills before they can ever be good at digital citizenship. They have to practice social skills in real life with real people. And then it's easy to know how to be a good digital citizen. Then there was a section on siblings. It said something about your fifth grade sibling and, and how, They're going to have to devise a plan to work together because that child's not old enough to have a a phone, but the sibling's old enough to have a, a phone. So, how are you going to work together on this? I don't know. That was kind of confusing. I think this is something parents really need to think about. It's just like movies. You cannot show a mature movie in your home if you have very young kids. It's just, I remember we had our kids and, you know, they were different ages. And I remember if we had family movie night, it had to be rated for the youngest kid in the house. So, that's kind of the problem when you have smartphone floating around. It's really hard to keep what I call secondhand smoke from affecting the younger kids in the house. There was a section on privilege and it said, you are not entitled to this phone, but we are your parents and we feel like you have earned the privilege of having a phone. Well, I'm thinking, no, um, they haven't even been alive long enough to earn an $800 device, much less Privilege for that. But again, you could argue that this is some kind of parenting difference. There was a section on if you exhibited good behavior on your phone for a certain period of time, then we would relax the rules. This is a really bad idea (laughs) to relax the rules. Are they also going to tell the predators and the porn companies out there that their son is uh, on good behavior using their phone well? So please do not disturb him. Giving a phone at 13 and then relaxing the rules for good behavior sets you up for big problems. Parents do this a lot of times because they're exhausted and they want to relax and they need to relax. So of course they can't keep an eye on the phone. I don't know if y'all have ever tried to do this. It's very difficult to manage a teenager's phone if you're really trying to be that accountability person in your child's life. And teach them and guide them, then you really do have to know everything that's going on and what they're seeing. Otherwise, there's no way for you to guide and lead and mentor and teach. And it's exhausting. And if you have one child and you don't have a job, maybe you can do it. But if you have a job and if you have more than one child, there are not enough hours in the day to do this. Um, so the contract continues. The second half of this huge document is a very long section, and, and it has things in there like setting time limits and parents, you know, ability to read their text and when to use the phones at certain times of the day and how they shouldn't use their phone in the bedroom and they should never take their phone to the bedroom. And just a note here, parents, if your child does have a smartphone, I can promise you that it is going to their bedroom. It's just, it, it is. And that's one of the big rules that everybody says across every platform that we know and work with and rub shoulders with that. Devices shouldn't be allowed in the bedroom, but the reality is if they have it, it will end up there. There were rules in this section about downloading apps and using social media, and there was a section on in-phone purchases, gambling, predators, porn, issues about subscriptions using the parents, credit cards to buy things on their phone, posting photos of their self, consequences, you know, about all that, consequences about lying. There was just this whole section on all of this. I did glance at it to see if there was anything about video games. And the mom said, oh, no, we don't have to put anything about video games because we're talking about a phone and they can't game on their phone. And I thought, OK, here's obviously another question that she needs to ask because that's not true. But after eight years of working with families and talking With many families who did rules like this, um, I'm going to share my thoughts on what this family contract is really going to do for you and what it's not going to do for you. Overall, parents mean well. They are trying so hard, but they are treating their kids like they have an adult brain when they do not. So here are a couple things for you to just note and think through. Number one, rule of thumb. There's a rule of thumb in parenting that healthy activities do not need contracts. This means that kids should not have more than a few rules for anything that they're doing. Multiple rules means something is wrong. Do we have rules for Legos? Do we have rules for playing outside? Do you have to give your child a contract before they read a novel or walk the dog? I know as they get older, we do need rules around driving, for example. But the difference is that car is not designed to hurt them. It is designed to help them. The phone is designed to hurt your teens. How many rules do you need? Multiple rules are red flags. The second thing, contracts do not work. I'll just say it right out loud. Don't be frustrated if your contract didn't work. It's not designed to work. Contracts are for adults. They are not for kids. If this type of thing worked, then we could get our teens to just sign a contract not to drink, not to do drugs, never to cheat in school and never to lie to us. They are immature. They are teenagers and they are scattered. Now, whether we say rules or whether we say contracts, because you might be saying, okay, well, maybe this, this is just not a contract. Maybe this is just a list of rules, well, let me tell you when this happens and, and, and by meaning that your kid isn't going to sign this, somehow I think parents think that when they sign, you know, when their teenagers sign this contract or this list of rules, that somehow they mean that they're going to do what's on the contract or the list of rules. And, and it's setting your kids up for failure. It's setting you up for failure because when you talk to your kids or when you are giving them all these rules, what the parents say, when they say, for example, no phones in the bedroom, no sexting, no phones in the classroom. What your kids are hearing is sort of like the Charlie Brown noise, you know, parent, blah, 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 blah. They may hear the word sex. So it sounds like blah, 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 sex, blah, blah, blah. They don't hear what you're saying. The third point is they can't sign contracts yet. You must be 18 to sign a contract to even get the phone in the first place at the phone store. So have you ever thought about that? Why do we give our kids smartphones when the companies say you have to be 18 to sign the contract to even get the smartphone? If we all waited till the legal age to even get a phone, we would not be in the spot that we are in today and our world would be a much better place and our kids would actually be way healthier. The fourth thing is that contracts Tracks go with blind spots. Parents have blind spots. We all have blind spots. We all think, well, not my kid. My kid's different. We all believe that our kid is actually listening to the rules and caring about this contract. Parents have this eternal hope and they have this eternal hope until they have their defining moment when they realize that the contract did nothing to help the current problem. Remember, there is nothing wrong with your teenagers. Their brains are not designed to reason what you're putting in this contract. The next thing is, uh, contracts make parents feel good. Parents want to do something. It sort of relieves their own pain for going against their, their gut feelings, especially if it's their first child. So they treat this like a business transaction. It works in the adult world. Surely it will work in my teen world over here with my kids contracts work really well between adults. They just don't transfer easily to the teen world. So the sixth thing is that parents are already exhausted and fearful. They feel accomplished. I checked the box. I made the contract. I did something. They might've even decorated it with stickers and put it on the refrigerator, just like they did the chore chart. That's how we, we think about contracts. And we just feel like since we're so exhausted, we just need to write all this down. And then our kids, it's kind of like handing them the monkey, like, okay, the monkey's off my back. Now it's on your back. Now it's up to you. If you want this thing, then you got to follow these rules. The seventh thought that I had was parents think having a smartphone contract will somehow make their child more mature. Like having rules does not make your child more mature. In fact, it might do the opposite. It's like wearing clothes that are too big, it's silly to think that kids can follow phone rules. There is so much pressure for them to do this. They are going to step out of the lines and they're going to do stupid things online that may cause them pain for a very long time. Having rules for something that really is not age appropriate for you does not make the teen more mature. The A thing is this U-turn I was talking about. Contracts do bring out this problem with developmental U-turns. And when I talk to parents, like I do all the time, they say, but it was all fine in seventh and eighth grade. What happened? Everything was fine. He was following the rules. He never took anything to his bedroom. He had the whole lib, whatever he did, whatever. So what are these developmental U-turns? For a season of early adolescence, teens can actually... Get less mature for a bit of time. So, parents, beware. This is like a trick. So, you're doing okay. Your younger kids seem to be following all the rules. They have all the signs of what I call false maturity. It looks like maturity, but it's not really maturity. They're saying the right things, and you just feel like you're really connected with them, and they seem like they're getting it, even at 13. But then around 14 or 15, when parents are relaxing because they're so exhausted and they're starting to give in on all these rules and give up, their kid does this big U-turn. They regress. They actually go backwards in their development. It's a scientific thing. I'm not making this up. They start acting like toddlers again. <laughs> they even start eating every three hours again. It's kind of funny. And they act so silly. And it's all about path and humor. And they're just scattered all over the place. And we think it's due to their puberty hormones and all these things, but it's not. We know now that we can't blame all that on this crazy little U-turn they're doing in this early adolescent stage. It is brain reorganization. So if you think those rules and all that contract information is still stuck in their brain, you need to think again. No. The brain is being reorganized, just like you're cleaning out your linen closet. You're taking everything out and you're reorganizing it and you're keeping the things that you use and you're throwing away the towels and the sheets that you're not using. So those rules actually get thrown out. The rules are lost. They're gone. They disappear out of the thin blue. And and then you're you're looking at your kid like, don't you remember we have these rules? And they truly are looking at you like, mom, I can't even remember to turn in my homework on time because I can't find my homework. They are disorganized. Do you think they will remember your contract terms? No, they will not. You have to start all over. And by this time, They have not been following the rules for so long that they're already further down the path than you think they are. You stop checking on them and there is a disaster and you may have your defining moment at this point, but they are building a new brain. It's not their fault. They're building a wonderful new brain that is full of so much potential. And I would venture to say that this is the age where they need the smartphone the least. I don't want to tell you to go get a smartphone for your sixth grader. Of course I don't want to do that. But in some respects, these earlier years are going to trick you and you're going to think they're fine. It's when they hit 14 and 15, when things get really hard and you have to almost start over, you have to be much more diligent around the exposure and the influences that your kids are up against. So just to sum it up, and we'll wrap up here in just a minute, my number one reason from my view on why contracts are harmful is because they give parents a false sense of security and they give kids and teenagers a false sense of power. You are the coach. You are the parent. Your teens desperately need you to guide them. They do not need a contract. You negotiate some things with a teenager, like their curfews and their haircuts, but you never negotiate things that go against your values, the non-negotiable things that hurt our kids. We don't negotiate things that are as dangerous as smartphones. This is the biggest problem with contracts. They are really just written one-way conversations. We know that conversations are necessary. And if you want to write it down and call it a contract, that's fine. Or you can call it rules, but this is only part of the solution. So if we say contracts or if we say conversations, because by now you're listening and you're thinking, but we got to go over this stuff with our kids, and I'll say, fine, absolutely. So take the signature line off of this contract, call it a conversation, use it for your notes, have the conversation with your kids, and go over all of the things that you wrote. But research says, that conversations about dangerous, addictive, harmful things do not work when you are still allowing the harmful activity. So what I'm saying is, yes, you have to have the conversation. So turn your contract into a conversation, tell your children all of this stuff, but it doesn't mean that you need to allow social media and smartphones at the same time. There's never a guarantee, but conversations work about 50% better when the harmful activity is not being allowed. So if contracts and conversations worked, right, we would all be able to eliminate teen pregnancies and drugs and alcohol and all these things. My kids don't have a smartphone, but they are still very aware of all the issues and dangers and problems with social media and all the things that go with that. We educate them all the time, but we educate without allowing them to practice the addictive activities. We know the more they practice it, the more ingrained it's going to be in their brain, and while this happens during the teen years it causes so many problems later on the later that you can wait the better so what's the what's the moral of the story today first of all 13 is not has not and never will be the best age for social media talk to your spouse about it and discuss if you still feel the same way after knowing the age of 13 was set not because That's when your child's mature enough to use a social media platform, but just because that's when the laws say that we can't collect data on children. And the second moral of the story today is that smartphone contracts really don't work. So what should we do instead? We need to delay as long as possible. We need to decrease personal device use as long as we can. We know that our kids are going to be able to use it just fine. They do not need all of middle school, and high school to learn how to use these things. We need to let them use it when a contract isn't even necessary anymore, when they're mature enough to use all the life skills that they have been practicing during these years when they haven't been distracted by a smartphone. That's what they need. They need life skills to know how to use social media the right way. They don't need a contract. Remember, if you feel like you need a contract, that's a red flag that your kid isn't ready. The best way to drive down teen anxiety and depression and suicide rates is to delay the use of the things that are causing these problems. We need to continue the conversation and talk with our teenagers all the time about the hard topics and hard issues that are in our culture, but that doesn't mean that we have to engage in these activities at the same time. Parents, you give them the self-esteem in the values, and the boundaries they need. They need you to do that. They do not need to get their self-esteem and all their influences from social media. They will listen to you. They love you and they want you to take the lead. They want to listen to you. Now, they will go through their U-turn season of their teen years, and you're going to be prepared for that because today you found out that was normal, that they're going to regress, and you're going to be ready for that. But they still want to listen to you. Even then, they want to spend time with you. Start early to make these kinds of interactions and conversations a habit in your home. Do not put them in the driver's seat. I know a lot of parents think, well, we have to put them in the driver's seat so they can learn. Again, we learn on negotiable things. We do not learn on the non-negotiables. Let them know that you love them and have their back. And it is your family against this bigger culture. We do not think that this is a crazy idea. In fact, we know, we absolutely know that all kids who take this path will have way more advantages than kids who decide to spend their teenage years on these devices. With parents who were frustrated writing contracts for them, so much time is wasted. We need to get our kids back connected with our family. Raise your kids above the social media culture and create a real social experience for them by having their friends over on a regular basis. Start doing this in middle school so it becomes a habit in high school. It's okay to be different. And don't worry about parenting against the current culture. Save your kids instead. That about wraps it up. I hope you were encouraged today and not discouraged. Please be encouraged. Please reconnect your family and think about the ways where you can do activities that you don't have to worry. You don't have to have contracts for, and you don't have to have long rules for. Still keep your conversations, but don't allow your kids to engage in the activities that are going to hurt them. It's much easier than you think. Again, I want to remind you to join our Screen Strong Families Facebook community for 24 hour support over there and create your own Screen Strong community so this will be easier for your whole family including your kids what's your homework to share this podcast with five friends today so we can spread the message and what's your other homework rip that contract up and give your kids a big eight second screen strong hug today when they get home remember we've got your back we are here to help you so until next time stand up for your kids Stand out from the crowd and stay strong.